Man, you guys can have a seat. Welcome to church today. Hey, if you're with us online, we love you. Uh, make sure you let us know where you're watching from in the chat today and say hi to our host, how they can pray for you as well. Hey, it's the week after Easter, y'all. Man, what a great opportunity and incredible moment that we had last week. But I, I just, I can't get into the message till we celebrate a few things. And the first is this, that we saw 163 people give their hearts to Jesus. I mean, come on. Oh my goodness, like that is just huge, man. So many of you, and maybe you're here today, and if you're in this room and you're one of those 163, I just want to say, welcome home. Welcome home. Hey, we're so glad you're part of the family, online family. If you're with us and you're one of those people, welcome home. Thank you for being here. And uh, man, we're excited to be with you on this journey. We also saw um, between our online attendance and in person, we saw over 3,300 people gathered together on Easter Sunday, which is amazing. Now, we say this all the time. We say that we count everyone because everyone counts. Amen. And uh, we do celebrate numbers because every number has a name, every name has a story, and every story matters to God. And so we are, after seeing people take their next step with Jesus, sometimes it's into this relationship with him, and sometimes it's something else, but we celebrate that every time. And also, if you served at Easter, uh, thank you so much for making that happen. We had amazing serve teams. Yeah, we can celebrate them as well. Um, from seating people to parking crew, you guys are out there, and it's like dumping snow, which really felt like Easter, didn't it? It was funny watching all the ladies in their high heels and Easter dresses, like walking through the snow to get into church. Uh, I'll share a little story. This, I thought this was pretty awesome. Uh, There's a family that was showing up, and the parking lot was filling up like it always does, and, and as they're pulling in, they're like, it looked like they were going to run out of parking uh, in the parking lot at the school. And so uh, I, the, the Holy Spirit just spoke to them, and they just said, you know what, um, we're not going to go to the school today. And so they turned around, and they went and watched Easter and streamed it in their car so that somebody else could hear the gospel at Easter. Isn't that amazing? Like, I love that. That's just the heart of you guys. That's why I'm so proud of our church, man. We, we, we just try not to get sidelined by silly little things. Uh, this isn't about getting comfortable. This isn't about just kind of getting my little fill up. This is about reaching those who don't know Jesus. And that's really what we are here to do. So lots to celebrate. Also, hey, it's baptism week. We have the tank filled up. And this is your opportunity uh, if you are part of that crowd and you've never been baptized or maybe you've been here for a while and you've never taken this next step. I just want to encourage you, today is your day. Uh, I want you to walk out and uh, at any point, you can get up during my sermon. If God's like, hey, today's your day. If you feel him speaking to you, uh, don't resist that. Get up and head out the doors. We've got people outside that can uh, help you. They've got t-shirts and shorts, everything you need. The water's like 90-something degrees. It's warm. Like literally, we've covered everything. Even if you're not prepared to get baptized, we'll get you prepared. Uh, but we want to help you take that next step today. And that's going to happen at the end of the service during our, uh, our music at the end. So... We are continuing our series called Come Alive. Last week was all, all about coming alive in Jesus and the resurrection and, and, and how that, that changes everything. It really does. And so we continue this forward in, in this reality that as Christians, we get to live the resurrection 365 days a year, right? Like Jesus is alive. Hope is here. Everything changes. Like the paradigm of what reality is should shift and does shift when you start to follow Jesus because you realize that things that were not possible are now possible. 
Like it used to be that when you went in the ground, you stayed there, right? When you went to the tomb, you stayed there. But Jesus said, no, 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 I, I rescue people from death. I take people from death to life. And so now we have this new paradigm and this new way to think. And so today, we're talking about coming alive in our thinking. And, and we're talking about the lies that we believe. Next week, we're talking about coming alive in our emotions because, man, our emotions can be crazy. Sometimes we feel things that can overwhelm us, and we all have emotions. God gave them to us, and the Bible has a lot to say about what we feel. But I want to start with a statement, um, and I think this statement kind of sets the tone for where we're going, and it's this, that what you think determines who you become. What you think determines who you become. It drives your life. So the question is, what are you thinking about? What is it that consumes your thoughts? What is your mind dwelling on? And that ends up being what you become. I think of, uh, I used to spend the summers on a farm with my uh, grandfather and with my uncle working uh, this dairy farm. And we used to be driving around in Maine and they knew everybody. They knew everybody that owned different properties and, you know, land in the area. And, and so we'd be driving down the road with my uncle and he'd be in the driver's seat and the thing that drove me crazy was wherever his eyes went, the truck went too. And so I ever driven with somebody like this when they're like, hey, Farmer Bill owns that place. And then off into the ditch he goes. Like, that's just what he would do. So I'd have to, you know, watch him because where his attention went, there went the truck. And I will tell you, where your thought goes, there, your, there goes your life. There goes your direction of your life is, is the direction of your thoughts. So what is it that has your focus? What is it that you're thinking about? And there's two kinds of thinking I want to I talk about. Uh, the first is dead thinking. Again, this is, this is like Good Friday thinking. This is like Jesus is, is in the tomb, hope is lost, there's nothing coming. That's what dead thinking is. It's when you think, man, there's, there's no hope. There's no way to heal this situation. There's no way to get out of this pit of despair that I find myself in. And, and this is really the way of thinking when, when you don't have Jesus because in the end, there is no hope if there is no Jesus. There is no hope if there is no resurrection. Ultimately, it's like, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. That's what life is all about, if there is no resurrection. But there is resurrection thinking, and that is hopeful thinking. That is thinking that is unlimited. That is realizing that, man, anything is possible if the tomb is empty, right? Anything is possible, and that life can be changed, and it can be different, and God can heal the things that are, that are wrong and, and messed up in our hearts and our minds. It's a, it's a growth mindset, Right? And so Philippians 4.8 says this. It says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. I want you to think about this word thinking because the reality is we don't think about what we're thinking. We just kind of let things come into our minds, and we don't analyze them, and we don't realize what they're all about. And, and I learned this little acronym that some of you might know, and it's the THINK acronym. And it's simply this, that when you get a thought, you need to ask some questions. The first is this, is it true? Is what you're thinking actually a fact? Because a lot of things come into my mind that are not true, right? You come in this room, you're like, everybody's looking at me. I promise you, we're not. Like, it's, we, we, we tend to think we're the center of the universe, right? So we're like, oh, they must be talking about me. They're not. They're talking about something else. So we think things that aren't always true, right? Is it true? The next is this. Is it helpful? It might be true, but it ain't helpful, right? You know, I might look at myself in the mirror and be like, bro, you put on some weight. But today I need to focus my energy elsewhere. I need to focus my thoughts on something else. And so maybe it's not a helpful thought 
for that moment. The next is this. Is it inspiring? Are you inspired by your thoughts, right? Is it leading you to somewhere good? Is it leading you to somewhere helpful? The next is this. Is it necessary? I'll get thoughts at like midnight sometimes, and I'm like, this is not necessary right now, you know? I got to get some sleep, get some breakfast, food in my stomach, then maybe I'll think about that. Maybe this isn't a necessary thought, right? And the last is this. Is it kind? Is this a kind thought? Is it kind to me, kind to others, right? Like, is this a kind thought? And, and, and this is so helpful as we begin to just start to think about what we think. And we start to analyze our thoughts and, and want to bring them into submission to God and what God says is actually true. And so how do we fix our thoughts on the truth? How do we actually do this? There's a journey that we go on. If you have a Bible, I want you to open up to the book of Daniel. And uh, we're just going to spend a minute talking about uh, the life of this man named Daniel. Uh, there was this king, if you don't know, uh, kind of at the beginning of the book of Daniel, King Nebuchadnezzar, who was a evil king. Everything in society was set up around worshiping him as God. So they would set up these statues, and, and uh, people would literally bow down to worship King Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, you've got this guy, Daniel, and Daniel was taken captive by the Babylonian Empire. Um, really, they, they took him captive because he was smart, and he was handsome, and he was a young man that had a lot of potential. And so they took him captive, and they said, hey, we want to raise you up to be in training to serve the king. And so that's exactly what they did. They raised him up. He went to kind of the, I guess you'd call it the, the Babylonian college, and learned all things Babylon. And throughout the Bible, uh, the, the idea of the, the Babylonian Empire or Babylon, it, it represents everything anti-God, everything anti-kingdom. It was literally the opposite of anything that Jesus would teach would be what the Babylonians would have taught Daniel. So he's literally spent his whole um, childhood life growing up and being indoctrinated in the ways of Babylon. And yet what we know about Daniel is that Daniel, as a, he was a young Jewish boy, right? And so he's of a, of a different background and a different race and a different belief. And, and although he was brought up to believe in, in worshiping King Nebuchadnezzar, he stayed faithful to worshiping Yahweh. And he, he, throughout this whole time, he managed his thoughts. He managed all of these thoughts coming in. And he was like, I'm not going to let these thoughts be my thoughts. Because you need to know this, like people around you right now, they want to make a buck off your thoughts, right? Like Amazon wants to control my thoughts. And sometimes, you, you ever been there where you're like, how do I know that, how do they know that I want this? And you click it, right? I mean, it's so smart. I mean, Facebook wants to manage and control my thoughts, right? Uh, you know, all social media, pl- there's a lot of people making a lot of money off of managing your thoughts. And so I just want you to know, if you don't manage your thoughts, somebody else will do it for you. And so we need to manage our own thoughts. And Daniel did this so well. And one of the things, as he was entering into this Babylonian society, uh, they had a certain diet of food that they would eat. And they wanted him to eat their food. And, and Daniel had different convictions. Some of that food may have been sacrificed to idols, which um, was not what he was uh, called to do as a follower of God. Uh, some of that food was maybe unclean food that he was not able to eat as a young Jewish boy. And so he was holding to his convictions. It says in Daniel 1.8, it says, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. And so he is convicted about his diet. It sounds like a small thing, but it was actually a really big thing to Daniel because any conviction and anything that God calls you to do is a big thing. They're all big things. And so he stays faithful to this and holds to 
his diet. And, and it just, it's crazy. As he holds to his convictions, Daniel keeps getting promoted. And, and you just see this throughout his life is, is the people that disagree with him most, most want them on their team and want to promote him. And I just, I think about that for us. Like, what if as a follower of Jesus, you disagreed in such a way with our culture that the people around you actually wanted to promote you? And that's a whole other sermon. But there is a way to disagree and to follow Jesus so faithfully that the people around you want to promote you. And that's what was happening in Daniel's life. It goes on. It says in verse 15, at the end of 10 days, after eating this diet, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and wine and were, and, and were to drink and, and, and wine to drink and gave them vegetables instead. So essentially what happens is Daniel's way of eating was healthier for him and the people around him. And the guards noticed it and they're like, well, it turns out that God's way is better, right? It turns way out that your God has a certain way of living that's leading to flourishing. And so his little decision changed the diet of the people around him. And man, this is such a, such a key is that Daniel stays in the broken system and makes changes, right? Like a lot of you are in broken systems. You're, you're in, a, in a job that you don't want to be a part of. Um, maybe even just the society, you're like, man, society's really broken. And the tendency in Christianity is to just hit the eject button, okay? Like we're all prone to do this. Can we just get out of here and get away with the things that we disagree with? But this is not the call of God towards his people. God always calls his people to go into the culture, and to be separate, but not to assimilate with the culture, right? Like we're separate in the sense that like we live different and have different convictions and we don't assimilate to them, but we're actually also living in the culture and, and around the people. This is so important. And I'll just tell you what, like I see in the church such a posture of fear right now. Man, there's such a posture of fear around like, where is the world going? And where, you know, you watch the news and man, you're just like, how do we hide? Hide your daughter, hide your wife, right? Like, how do we get away from all the things that are so broken in this world? And, and so there's just this like, it's like the church is, is pulling away from the places that Jesus would be most prone to go, right? And that's, that's sad to me because like, that's, that's our mission, that we feel threatened by the things that are going on in this world. But we got to remember, there is no threat to a war that's already been won, friends. Like, the outcome is established, and it is done, right? If the resurrection is true, then, man, you have a different way of seeing the world. And I probably shouldn't wade into this, but I'm gonna. Um, So, I'll tell you what, like, if you want to make two moms fight, just bring up homeschool versus public school, and just you know, it's like throwing a stake down between two pit bulls. It's like, you can go crazy. Just see what might happen. Because, I'll, and I'll tell you, like, we have both homeschooled and public schooled our kids. Um, so I can talk about it from both sides of this whole thing. But there is a fear that can happen amongst parents when it comes to what's being taught to our kids, right? And I, and I totally understand it. And I'm, man, just, you know what's best for your kids. Do what's best for them. But I'm just going to tell you, do not lead your children out of fear, Like your kids, man, they know more and have more in them than we realize, right? And the fear is, it's like, what if the world changes my kids? But what if God's raising up a generation of kids to change the world, right? And what if the way that the schools change is by sending followers of Jesus who are fully devoted and brought up in the things that are true to go there and to make a difference? And this is what Daniel did in this culture because he knew how to manage his thoughts, and so we, we got we to empower our kids and empower not just them, but also us 
You guys, this is why Jesus got so much flack from the religious people. Because he would go and he would, he would lay hands on a sick person. In their paradigm, the way that they thought was, when someone who is clean touches someone who is unclean, the clean person becomes unclean. But Jesus says, I have a new paradigm for you. I have a new way of thinking for you. When I touch the sick, the sick are healed. When I touch those who are broken, the broken are made whole. Like, it changes them. I am not changed by it. And so we got to get off of this defensive posture and get on to, eat, to defense as a church. Can we do that? Like, we got to start to move into, defense, into offense um, from defense as a church family. And so the journey goes on forward, and Daniel stays faithful to his God is very strong in the way he's managing what's coming in at him and sticking with his convictions. And, and then different kings come and go. And then there comes this guy um, named King Darius. And uh, Daniel's promoted once again. And as he gets promoted, jealousy starts to stir up amongst the ranks, which again, if you follow God faithfully, you can expect there'll be jealousy from people around you. And so they don't like that Daniel's getting promoted. So they, they set up kind of a smear campaign um, which uh, we would never do that in 2023. We've progressed so far beyond that that when we see someone succeeding, we don't set, down, set up to undermine them. Of course not. But that's exactly what they did. They set up to undermine Daniel. And so they said, hey, let's dig up some dirt on Daniel. Let's find out all of his baggage, all of the skeletons in the closet. And they go and they look and they find nothing. The dude's squeaky clean. And they're, they're frustrated, right? Because they're like, well, how are we going to undermine him? If he's that, like, he just keeps doing the right thing. People respect him. They said, no, but we've got one thing on him. He follows Yahweh. He follows this other God. He doesn't worship King Nebuchadnezzar. We know this. So they said, hey, what we're going to do is we're going to use his faith against him. And that's how we're going to get him. And so these guys, they go to King Darius and they say, hey, can we make an order like this? That if anyone prays to any God, or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, King Nebuchadnezzar, or, or King Darius, uh, your majesty, they shall be thrown into the lion's den. So this is what was set out, is that, 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 that if anyone prayed to anybody but, but this king, that they'd be thrown into the lion's den. And they knew that Daniel would probably try to stay faithful to his God, and that's literally what he does. This was going to be a test of Daniel's mental fortitude, a test of his resolve, right? I'll tell you this, I believe that God will strengthen the way you think through tests of faithfulness. Every single one of you are in a test of faithfulness right now. Like there's somewhere in your life that God's like, hey, this is what I'm asking you to do, but your mind is giving you reasons and excuses not to do it, right? You're thinking, man, there's no way I could do that. There's no way I'm qualified to do that. There's no way that I could afford to do that. Whatever it is, your mind is telling you don't be faithful to this thing. And what God is doing is he's building your mental strength through a test of faithfulness. So what we know about Daniel, once again, is that he does stay faithful. It says in verse 10, it says, Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Daniel says, hey, um, I'm willing to risk my life to be faithful to my God. And I know, I know this could get really bad, but I'm going to stick with my convictions. And what we know about the story, you can go read the rest of the story later, is that Daniel does get thrown into the lion's den. And it's, it's just a beautiful story. What Daniel believed was something that almost, you know, it's just so hard to believe. 
in this world today was that when I stay faithful, God will deliver. Well, we, we get it flipped up. We think, I need to deliver myself, right? And when we try to be our own deliverers, we will always miss out on being faithful. And so Daniel had it, had it the right way. He said, I'm going to stay faithful. Let God be my deliverer. And that's exactly what God does for Daniel in the lion's den. He, it says that he went up to his room, went upstairs, right? And it says that he was, he was praying like he had done before. So Daniel didn't wait for a dire situation to be a man of prayer. Does this, this make sense? So like, like don't wait until you get the diagnosis or until the kids are going off the deep end to be someone who has a rhythm of prayer in your life. Daniel knew for him to stay, to stay connected with God, he had, to, he had to be a man of prayer and stay connected to, uh, to prayer. And so he, he prayed. But he didn't just pray. It says that he went upstairs with the windows open toward Jerusalem. In other words, Daniel was willing to be a public follower of Yahweh. He went to the you can just imagine like this building, these windows thrown open, Daniel right there in the window where everyone could see him praying to his God and not to King Darius. That's what he had always done, so he kept doing it. Now, I have to try to you know, put myself in his shoes. I was thinking as I was studying this this week, like what would I be willing to do for 30 days so that I wouldn't get thrown to the lions? Like how much of a hypocrite would you be willing to be for 30 days just so that you wouldn't have a situation like that. I mean, I would probably give Daniel advice. Like, hey, Daniel, just shut the windows, bro. God, God can hear you through windows. It's fine. Like, if you got the windows open, go to the back of the room, right? Get your back up against the wall so nobody can see you. How about you pray all day long, just keep your eyes open, right? Like, nobody has to know that you're praying to Yahweh, right? To this God. But see, Daniel knew. He knew that that would be to, uh, to be ashamed of his God. He knew that that would be to, as if to say that I am my own deliverer. I need to protect myself, that God can't protect me, but I must protect myself. And so instead of going against his convictions, he stayed true to them, and God showed up. God showed up. And that's his promise to you as well. And I just, I was thinking, man, do I have an open window faith or closed window faith, Right? I mean, can I think my way through? What, what will people think of me at work? What will people think of me if I talk about what I believe? You know, like, like what will happen to me? Those are the fears and the thoughts that come into our minds. Daniel gets thrown into the pit with the lions. And I will tell you that this is often what it feels like when our thoughts go out of control. It's like we spiral into a pit, right? It's like we're caught up with all of these lies. And, and this, is, this is the truth is the devil always has lies for you. Sometimes I wake up in the morning and when, when I, as, as soon as I become like aware of myself, the lies start coming in at, at me. So I want you to think about this like, I'm going to test your Bible. Uh, so Satan prowls around like a roaring what? Right? Roaring lion. One of, the, one of the, the, the names of Satan is that he's the father of lies, right? And then Jesus says that I am the way the truth in the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So here's what you need to know, is that Jesus has a truth for every lie that you believe right now. And so actually, I went on social media this week and asked some people like, hey, what are some lies that you believe? What are some struggles and thoughts that you deal with? And I could not believe the number of responses that I got. And what was amazing about these responses is that there was almost none of them that were unique to themselves. So the lie or the struggle that you have in your mind I just, I want to promise you, somebody else here thinks the same thing. You're not alone. 
You're, you're not as much of a freak as you think you are. Like, we all think these things sometimes. And so it, it, was, it was interesting seeing how consistent these thoughts were. The most common one I heard was this, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. People really wrestling with this thought in their minds, like, I'm not good enough. And, and this, this thought reflects so much of our society. Millions and millions of people trying to prove that they're good enough, Right? So what would Jesus' response be? I think it would be this. You're right, but I'm good enough for the both of us. That's what Jesus would say. See, the answer to not feeling good enough is not get good enough. It's not get more education, get the job, get the stuff. Like, like that's not the answer because we will always fail in one way or another. The answer is that Jesus is enough for us, right? We are not enough. Jesus is enough. Another one that I heard is this. I don't have what it takes, kind of a derivative of the last one, but realizing, man, I don't have what it takes. I believe Jesus would say, you will always have everything you need to do what I'm asking you to do. You will always have everything that you need to do what I'm asking you to do. It's kind of the old statement, if you've heard this before, that God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called, right? He's going to give you what you need to do what he wants you to do. And if you don't have what you need to do something, maybe it's not something that God wants you to do. You have to work through that. Here's one that I heard, heard a lot that kind of broke my heart. Um, nobody loves me. This, this came up over and over again that there are people sitting in this room today probably who came in here and they thought, nobody cares that I'm here. This is why I encourage you, don't just jet out of here after church. You don't know who you're sitting next to. You don't know what they're going through. You don't know what, what they came in here with. And so I would say that most of us feel like people are using us and don't actually love us. I believe Jesus would say this, human love is imperfect, but my love is perfect, and I literally love you to death. Is that enough for you? Of course, we want more, and we need more, and yet at the same time, what's more than the love of God, right? Here's one that I heard a lot, I'm afraid. Man, there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of fear. Jesus would say, focus on my love. If the resurrection is true, even death has nothing on you. You can believe that today. Whatever you're afraid of, uh, the question is like, uh, is it worse than death? And if it is death, realize that the resurrection is coming, right? Like for those who are in Jesus, resurrection is not a hope, it's a promise. It's something that we are all walking into. And so focus on the love of God because fear is the absence of love. When we understand the love of God, it will cast out all fear. And so what we need to start doing is understanding our thoughts. We need to think about what we think. And there's two terms I want you to remember to describe the stage of thinking that you're in. And the terms are consolation and desolation. Consolation and desolation. Desolation is this. Desolation is when we're spiraling downwards. Your thoughts are always spiraling upwards or downwards, one direction or the other. That's why we say this sometimes, I'm spiraling right now. I hear hear people say that, like, I'm spiraling. Normally to refer to spiraling downwards in our thoughts, desolation turns us in on ourselves, right? It's when we can only think about us because we're so obsessed with what we feel and think. Desolation cuts us off from community. What breaks my heart most is when people need community the most, it's when they're most likely to resist community. It's when people walk away from the church. They're like, I'm not going to be a part of that. But this is when you need community. Uh, Desolation makes us want to give up. 
Again, it's limited thinking. This is, this is dead thinking. It, it crowds out our vision. We can't see the future, see a possibility of restoration. It covers up God's faithfulness. We forget that he's come through before and he can come through again, right? It drains us of energy. We're just like sleeping all the time. We don't have motivation to go and do things because we're caught in this downward spiral of lies from the devil. We're in the pit and we're being devoured by the father of lies. But the invitation is not to be someone of desolation, but someone of consolation, right? This is what the truth does, right? Jesus is the truth. The truth will set you free. And so in consolation, consolation directs our focus outside and beyond ourselves, right? It's when you start thinking about the needs of others and the people around you. It bonds us closer with people. We start to kind of build connections and and talk with the people around us. It generates a desire to keep trying, even when you're failing, you're like, man, this is hard, but I'm, man, I'm consolating right now. I'm failing, but I'm moving upwards. Again, your circumstances can be the same, and you can think different, friends. You can see the world different. It refreshes our vision. We see that there is hope for the future. It shows us where God is active and leading. We see that the Holy Spirit is at work even in our suffering, and it energizes us. Now we're getting out of bed in the morning. Now we're after the day. Again, it's not the circumstances. It's where do you put your faith? Is it in yourself or your situation or in your Savior today? 2 Corinthians 10 says this, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. This is where some things need to change, church. I think some of the reason we've lost a lot of stock in the world is because we've waged war like the world. It says the weapons we fight with are not weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. What's the, what's the stronghold in your life? Where's the lie in your life that you just need to let go of this thing? It says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. This idea of taking your thought captive is exactly what we're talking about. It's to think about what you're thinking and then call that thought into submission to God. Again, if you don't manage your thoughts, someone else will manage them for you. We don't want to let our thoughts run wild. We don't want to believe every thought. We have a lot of thoughts that are completely untrue, and they're not what God would say about us. And so we want to take those thoughts captive. We want to literally interrupt that thought, right? Do you know any interrupters, right? It's like, oh, I, want to, I got something to say. That's what you need to do to your thoughts sometimes. When you start hearing these things, right, I am not love. Go ahead. Wait, I got something to say to that. Jesus loves me to death, right? It's time to interrupt our thoughts, to take them captive. You see, we all need to be rescued from the lies we believe. And in the end, these are all good ideas, but you can't do it alone. Can you hear me on that? Like, if you could just fix your thoughts, you could go to some self-help seminar and you'd be perfect. You'd be great. But this ain't no self-help seminar. This is God's help seminar, right? This is, this is about how God is the only one that can actually rescue us from our thoughts, I watched this video that went viral a couple of weeks ago about this, uh, this snowboarder. I don't know if some of you saw this, but uh, he was snowboarding on Mount Baker in um, Washington. And I think he jumped up through some trees and something went wrong, flipped upside down, and he fell headfirst down into a tree well, got stuck. And this other skier was coming by and he saw just the tip of a snowboard sticking up out of the snow. And this is what he did. Check this out. <sighs> Oh, my. 
You okay? You alright? Okay, you're good. You're good, I got you. You okay? Can you breathe? Oh, yeah, okay. Alright. We're both gonna catch your breath for a sec. And then I'll dig you out, okay? Thank you. Yeah, no problem, man. You're good. Alright. Get a little more sandwich than that. claustrophobic just from watching that oh my goodness uh, I watched that video and it made me think of these moments where we're just stuck in a pit uh, I think some of you have been there before where it literally feels like suffocating because your thoughts are you're just taken over you, you've not managed your thoughts I've been there you guys a few years ago I I was in a place where I would wake up every single morning with such anxiety and fear that I, I just couldn't even get out of bed and I, I found myself in this rhythm every day where before I would open my eyes, I'd just spend like 10 minutes in prayer. Like as soon as I'd become conscious of myself, um, not because I was so holy, but because I couldn't do anything else. And God will use those moments where you're feeling like you're suffocated to show you that he's faithful and that he's there to rescue you from those thoughts. You know, the, the Hebrew word for uh, spirit is pneuma, which literally means breath. It's breath. And that's what it feels like when you invite God to come in and, and, and to retrain your mind, to reprogram what you think about this world. All those thoughts, I'm not worthy, I'm not love, I have nothing to offer, nobody here cares about me, I'm too far gone. When you allow the Spirit of God to come in and breathe life into that, that thought, it, it just feels like you're coming out of a pit, right? It feels like being rescued from the depths, and that's what our God does. And I just promise you, He can do that for you today. You see, when you're caught in a hole of negative thoughts, you're in the perfect place to encounter your Savior. So you need to know this. He does see you, and He does care about you. Maybe today you're dealing with some lies when it comes to baptism, and you felt that conviction, like maybe that's me, maybe God's asking me to do this, and and it's causing you to kind of stay in your seat. You're not sure what to do. And there's just some different thoughts that tend to come to people's minds when it comes to baptism. Maybe it's just fear of crowds. We're not going to make you give a speech. Don't worry. Um, but maybe you're just like scared of these people. Again, I just want to tell you, never let anyone else make you ashamed of what God's doing in your life. Don't be afraid of people. Maybe it's uh, just waiting for like a perfect Instagram moment, right? You want to do it out in the middle of nowhere, like, uh, you know, in a lake somewhere, and the lighting's got to be perfect. But again, you don't need Instagram. Just be faithful, right? Maybe it's feelings of unworthiness. When, when God's calling you to be baptized, the enemy will, will, will be right there with shame, bringing up stories and failures in your life to say that, that you shouldn't get in the tank. But here's the good news, and I'll tell you this. If you feel worthy to get in the tank, don't get in the tank. When you get in this tank, it's you admitting that you're not worthy, that you are needing a Savior. Does that make sense? Like when we get in the tank, it's us saying, man, I am not enough. Jesus is enough for me. That's the only difference. Maybe it's uh, 
Not the right container. It's a metal tank. You're like, I don't know. I feel like we could do something better than that. It's just a container. Doesn't matter, right? Maybe it's just been too long. You've been a, you've been a, a believer for 50 years. We always say this, no time like the present to be faithful to God, right? Maybe you were baptized as an infant. And I don't want to take anything away from that, if that meant something uh, to you to know that you've been baptized as an infant. But for us, um, we always encourage people that, that you should make a decision for yourself. The baptism is a public declaration of a private decision, right? And once again, something gets solidified in your soul when you go public with your faith. We don't want to be private Christians. We want to be public, open window Christians, right? And so what you're doing here as you get in the take is you're being, you're being a Daniel. You're being an open window follower of Jesus. And so I want you to just kind of work. And maybe that's you today if you'd like to be baptized. encourage you to do that. And, and maybe this is you. It's seen as optional. Like baptism is sort of like second level Christianity. What we see in the New Testament, it's very clear. People give their hearts to Jesus and then they say, where's the water? And if you wonder what the water is about, the water is not salvation. It comes from the ground, reservoir, somewhere around here. It's just, it's just water. It's just tap water. But what it represents is our burial with Christ as we go under the water. It's you, it's you aligning yourself with Good Friday. Like, I am dead to that old self. And when you come up out of the water, it's you aligning with Easter. I am alive with Christ. I am resurrected with Jesus. And this is an ancient symbol that we still do today because it's so powerful when we show the world that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. So all I'm saying is don't leave this place without getting baptized. We've got everything you need. Really encourage you to do that today. Would you stand up? I want to pray for us, and we'll, we'll worship together. Father, thank you so much that we don't have to be lost in our thoughts. Father, thank you that you have the power to retrain our minds. and God, you created us. So you know how to help us to fix our minds and our thoughts on what's true, what's good, and what's right. I pray for the person in this room who's felt like they've been in a pit for a long time. God, that they would just breathe a little bit of oxygen today, knowing that they don't have to fix their situation, but God, you can allow them to be in the same situation even, but to think differently about it, see it through your eyes, God. And when we see things through your eyes, there is always hope for the future. God, the best really is always coming when we see things through your eyes. Got to pray for the person that needs to get baptized. Give them the courage to, uh, to make that move today. And God, I just thank you so much for your grace. Send us out to the world on mission, God. I, I, I just, I feel like you're calling us to confess fear. You do not give us a spirit of fear. So God, give us confidence and boldness and peace as we go to the world and we share the good news. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Love you guys.